So again, I feel the, as Brother Dave mentioned, you know, the preacher has the burden of bringing the message. We need to be sensitive to God and His leading. And the message today is, is uh, hopefully easy to remember. It's simple. It's straightforward. And uh, as I considered the assignment today, this week, uh, uh, I guess I had a migraine most of the week, and I knew I needed to prepare the message, but I just decided not to worry about it. And then it seemed like God dumped it on me all at once. So, and uh, and the title is a bit unique. You might think it's odd, so I won't give that to you right now. And I need to explain the title. But before the title, uh, well, let me back up and say that the Sunday school lesson this morning, the uh, uh, focus said forsaking all and follow God. And I think that was a good introduction to the message. And I don't know how many of y'all read the Beside the Still Waters devotional, but a while back, a week or so ago, a devotional hit me, and I want to read the entire devotional as an introduction to the message. Uh, I don't normally do it this way, but I'm telling you, this message is a little unique, so... Bear with me. <clears throat> and, 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 if, and this devotional, I mean, after the end of this devotional, we could go home. It says it well. It really covers it well. It says, and I might make some comments as I read this devotional. It says there's two kinds of people in the world, the children of God and the children of the devil. Okay? Now, we know that. But we like to give some gray area. We like some wiggle room. And, and this speaks to that. And there's two kinds of servants. The servants of sin and the servants of righteousness. And there's two different kingdoms. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven. And we can be in only one or the other. And we belong either to the family of Satan or to the family of God. There is no in-between. And I think that, that helps us because, okay, if you were killed instantly, right? You would either go to one place or the other place. There is no in-between place. But we're deceived at, at times in thinking that there's gray areas that we can live in. In other words, there's gray areas that we can uh, maybe be in, as, as this speaks to a little later, that you know we can appear to be part of the family of God, but we can get over there and enjoy the pleasures of sin a little bit if we want to. But that is not the case. And this goes on to say, sometimes we may become blind to our own identity. And that's serious. <clears throat> Many people have been led to believe that they are God's people and they are on their way to eternal happiness. And many care little to examine themselves and are too much entangled with this life to be concerned. 
Others are content to attend church services regularly, participate in religious ceremonies like everyone else, and just go along with the flow. So then it raises the question, where do we fit? Are we trying to live in the gray area that's between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light? Are we endeavoring to hide in no man's land? Well, I'll just say, I've tried that. I've tried in no man's land. It doesn't work. Not if you want to live for God. It will not work. Do you know, there, when I was a teenager, there was one summer that I never opened my Bible. And I was a member of the church. And I never opened my Bible. If I did, it was at church. Because everybody else did when he's listening to the preacher. And that's exactly what this is speaking to. If there is no genuine personal commitment to follow Christ and heed his words, then we are not active in the spiritual war. It goes on to say, the devil is glad when professing Christians imagine they live in the gray areas and in no man's land because these people belong to him. It's saying these people in the gray area in no man's land belong to the devil. And he wants them to be content there. And so the call is to wake up. And nothing is more important than our eternal destiny. And let's be sure that we have joined the ranks of Jesus. Okay, that's, that's the devotional from beside the still waters. You know, I heard a man say one time, and he professed to be a Christian man, and he had a concern for an ungodly man, and I don't remember what he said that he'd done, that he said to this man, but he said, I was trying to be a halfway witness to him. And I'm sure he succeeded. Yeah. We, we can't. We're either one or the other. Now, the title of the message is, One, Two, Three, Hop In. Now, I need to explain that title to you. Uh, Back in the first part of, of uh, October, uh, our daughter, Je uh, Crystal and Jeff, invited us down to North Carolina to the beach. They were spending the week at the beach, and we were there one day. And this quote comes from our three-year-old granddaughter. And so we were sitting there on the beach in our uh, chairs, and they were playing, and they dug this hole in the beach, okay? This hole was their swimming pool, they said. And, uh, and so she would come up, and this hole they dug with their sand shovels, and it was big enough to hold four of them. And so this little three-year-old would come up to the edge, and this hole was like two feet deep, two to three feet deep, and she'd come up to the edge, 
And she would say, one, two, three, hop in, and she would jump in. You see, her legs weren't long enough that she could be on the beach and in the hole. She either had to decide one or the other. And you see, there was three others in the hole, which we could say was part of her life, part of her family, part of her church, if you will. She was secure down in there with them. And she just loved that, to be down there with them. Well, after they sat down in there a while, they would, you know, maybe get a little restless and want to go do something else. And she'd get up and go off in the beach and walk around. But she would come back. She would always come back. And she would always say, one, two, three, hop in. And she would jump in and join the others. And, you know, I was sitting there observing that. And another thing I observed, which is true to us as a congregation and us as individuals, I was thinking, well, they did a lot of work that wasn't necessary. See, they, they dug this big hole, but what's a swimming pool without water? They called this their swimming pool, but it didn't have water. So they would take their sand buckets and walk down to the waves and carry water up to put in their pool, okay? And they made a lot of trips carrying water up to the pool. And it amazingly held the water good. And they'd like five or six inches in the bottom. And of course, all this was going on. And she'd come back and say, one, two, three, hop in. And she'd hop in with the rest in the water. And they were having a big time. And they must have got tired of carrying water. And they had this hole... Uh, strategically located that the waves from the ocean would roll right up to the edge of it and stop. And then the waves would go back. And then it would come up. And so they got the idea, you know, if we would dig a channel in here, then we wouldn't have to carry water in our buckets. And when the waves rolled in, the water came up the channel and came right down in their pool, gave them a uh, five or six inches, perfect. They, see, that, that, that's just the way, if we rely on God, he, he can do that. I thought, that's beautiful. The waves come up, well, th that wave didn't bring them any water, well, they didn't need any water. After a while, some more waves come up, they come a little higher, it, it filled their pool again, and then went away. And, and so that's the title of the message. Okay, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 5, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And the three things we want to look at today is the new creature. It talks about in this verse the characteristics of the new creature and why it's important to maintain the characteristics of a new creature. Notice what verse 18 says. It says, All things are of God who hath reconciled us. I'm sorry, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Remember our devotional? 
The old is past. There's no gray area. And this verse says that a man is a new creature. When a person becomes a Christian, he's brand new inside out. Remember that. It's inside out. If you're a new creature inside out, then you don't want to live in the gray area, so to speak. Because people in the gray areas are typically from the outside. They want to make everything look right on the outside, regardless of what's going on, on the inside. And he's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. And notice what it says. It says, old things have passed away. And that includes, when a person is regenerate, it includes the value systems, the priorities, the beliefs, the loves, and all the plans of the old system are gone. Evil and sin no longer control the person. I didn't say evil and sin don't have an effect on you anymore, but it doesn't have your control. Evil and sin no longer has control. Our little granddaughter walking up and down the beach. See, she left the beach. She went in the hole. One, two, three, hop in. She went to that secure place. She couldn't be both. She couldn't be up on the beach and in the hole at the same time. She had to choose. The believer's new spiritual perception of everything is a constant reality to him. Did you catch that? It's a constant reality. That we are a new creature. He now lives for eternity before he lived for temporal things. That's, that's part of this uh, new creature concept. Now notice, now we go into verse 18 here. It says, all things are of God. And it's referring back this concept of a new creature, it came because of Jesus Christ and the old things are passed away and all things are become new and this is all because of God. It says, who reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and since he reconciled us to him and we're a new creature, we're, old things are passed away and all things are become new, now we... Join him in that ministry of reconciliation. And that ministry of reconciliation to others is by word and deed, which bring harmony, others into harmony with God. Now Paul, of course, wrote the passage that we're looking at, and I'd like to go back to another passage in Philippians, let's turn to Philippians 3, where, where Paul is, is focusing on this aspect of why we need to keep our focus on being a new creature, why we need to keep our zeal. Philippians 3, I think I'll just read. Uh, verses 12 through 21 and then make a, a few comments on those verses. 
Philippians 3, 12-21. <clears throat> Notice how he starts out here. Not as though I'd already attained, either were already perfect. See, he's not claiming to be perfect. He's not claiming to arrive. And that's exactly the way each one of us is here this morning. At least I haven't. I haven't arrived. I haven't attained. And I'm not perfect. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. If, if she would, I don't know if she'd tell you or not, but you can ask her. Verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth those things which are before. There's a key. Notice what it said. Forgetting those things which are behind. 14, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, be thus minded that if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already obtained, let us walk the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me. Mark them which walk so that as you have us as an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, whose mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies, that it may be fashioned like his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. <clears throat> but, uh, just a few more comments on a few of these verses. <clears throat> As I said in verse 12, he said he's not perfect. But he's, he's pressing on. And that's what we need to do. When we're a new creature in Christ, we need to put a dedicated effort to press on. You know, it's not an effort, uh, what do I say, that I believe God gives us peace. He gives us direction. And he gives us focus. It's, it's not should I say an uncomfortable chore but it's a it's it's a something that we diligently need to keep in mind and and um, verse 13 is so true forgetting the past and looking forward to what is ahead and in forgetting the past I believe some of those things would include the things that we used to enjoy doing in the old man and in the flesh, we're forgetting those things. And, and um, we're forg we pray God that he could help us forget our failures of the past. And the focus he's looking at here is looking forward and pressing on. It's like the scripture says, he daily loads us with benefits. Every morning when you get awake, there's a new load of benefits there waiting for you. 
Are you going to use them? How are you going to use them? Are you going to use them in pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God? And that's what he says in verse 14. He presses toward the goal. Remember that Jesus said to love the Lord God with your heart, soul, strength, mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's the goal we need to keep in focus. And uh, verse 20 reminds us that we are citizens of that heavenly land and looking for the Savior. And when He comes back, our dying bodies will be changed. It's not going to be changed if you're in the gray area. It's only your bodies will be changed only if you're on God's side. Now let's go back to uh, 2 Corinthians and continue on there down in the next chapter, 2 Corinthians. We were in chapter 5, now let's go to chapter 6. Chapter 6 raises some questions about the uh, characteristics of this uh, new creature. It brings it in perspective. Verse 14 of chapter 6, it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, probably not, most of us, I would assume, are familiar what the yoke is. Of course, back in, 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 in third world countries, they still use the yoke today. You have, you have two oxen or two horses, and they're yoked together. And they need to cooperate with each other to get anything done. You know, they need to pull together, so to speak. And so it's raising the question here, if you've got a believer and an unbeliever together, it's raising the question, what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What, you know, don't, don't team up with those who do not love the Lord. That's just as simple as that. What partnership does having a right living and right standing with God have with iniquity and lawlessness? You know, we, we need to reach out to those that don't love the Lord. We need to have an effect on them. We need to work. We need to challenge people in their faith to move toward what little bit of faith they have or if they have no faith. And, and the scripture says... All men don't have faith. And we're tempted sometimes to think that people that don't have faith maybe have a little faith, and so we can kind of cozy up to them and go along with them. But there are no gray areas. It's saying, how can light have fellowship with darkness? And maybe that's where we're tempted to think the gray area is. There's a twilight between light and darkness. But... In reality, that is not the case. And so then he raises another question from a different angle. What concord, uh, or what, maybe another word would be, what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? 
Did you notice any harmony between Christ and the devil when he was here on earth during his temptation? You could say, well, Jesus had the perfect uh, timing there to show the devil his power. He could have turned the stones into bread. He had the perfect setup. But he did not. There is no harmony between Christ and the devil. And he tempted him. If you study that passage, he tempted him in a lot of ways, but there was absolutely no compromise. So the same question can be raised for us today. How can a Christian be a partner whether you're talking about marriage or whether you're talking about business, how can a Christian be a partner with one who does not believe? That's what he's asking. How can you be a partner? If you're a partner with one that does not believe, on Judgment Day, that person is going to be gone, and are you going to go to heaven? That's the question you need to answer. Well, we, we witnessed that in the children of Israel. God was strong on that. That they not cozy up to the enemy nations. They was to drive them out and get rid of them. Because what happened, the enemy nations, their idol worship, their way of life, rubbed off on the children of Israel. In fact, they gradually accepted it in a lot of cases and were just as and in fact the scripture says they were worse they were worse than the heathen and that's still true in the new testament why god is so adamant that there be no cozying up between believers and unbelievers and in verse 16 it says after he says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? You know, he, he goes into some of these relationships. Now he's getting to the core of the issue. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? He says, For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell with them. They walk in them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So he's saying here, that when we're a new creature, our body is the temple of God. And when God lives in us, He completely fills it up. And there is no room for any idols. There's no room for sin. There's no room for, you name it, living in the gray areas. If God is truly living in our earthly temple, our body, there's no room for anything else. It's either God or idols, and it's up to you to choose. So, one, two, three, hop in. You choose. Now, verse 17. Okay, in these last three verses we looked at, we know the right answers to those questions that have been raised. And so he's saying here, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, 
saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. God, the Father, says he will receive you if you, separ- if you take that step and separate yourself from all the unclean things. You're a new creature. You're following on, like Paul says. He says, I will receive you. I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I will be a father unto you. See, Paul is quoting here from, in these two verses from Ezekiel, from Isaiah, and from Samuel. God wants us to do, this is what God wants us to do in our days, to leave, to separate ourselves. And he says he will be a father unto us. Like the children there on the beach. See, God brought the water in. He brought it up the channel. He supplied their needs. He was a father, uh, so to speak, unto them. So the last question is, why do we need to maintain this new creature status? Well, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 5.10. This brings it into focus. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. There you go. That's, that's the answer to why we need to maintain our focus on the new creature status. And I like to read to you the amplified rendering of that verse. And let me just kind of read it to you slowly. This is the amplified reading of this verse. For we must all appear and be revealed as we are before the seed of Christ. Okay? There's no gray area. It's either black or white. And what we've done, our deeds... It's going to be revealed that each one, it goes on to say that each one may receive in parentheses his pay or his dust dues according to what he's done in the body, whether it's good or evil. Now this judgment on us is, you know, God's mercy God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. But in this judgment, that has nothing to do with it. It's based on what you have done, whether you've been good or whether you've been evil. It's going to be fair. It goes on to say, in those good and evil deeds that you're judged on, it considers what your purpose and motives have been. Isn't that interesting? What have your motives and purpose been that, and when he, I'm sorry, let me just back up and read it as it is. For we must all appear 
and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive his pay according to that which was done in the body, whether good or evil, considering what his purpose and motive have been and what he has achieved, what he's been busy with, and given himself and his attention to accomplishing. I want to close with a poem, a little poem I found. You know, I mentioned the ocean, mentioned God, and this little poem kind of wraps it all up. As you journey on life's ocean, may you feel that God is near. He knows the way, He steers the ship, so there's no need to fear. His promises are sure and true. He knows your need. He cares for you. One, two, three, hop in. Shall we sing?